This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. We are doing a, a series through the book of Ephesians, right? And we're at the section of Ephesians in, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, where we've been lingering out for a bit. It's this extended song of praise that, that Paul puts in to the beginning of the letter as he, he sends these things out to the Ephesian church, right? Now, in the original text, there's no punctuations. There's no periods and, and commas. This is one long, run-on sentence of, of, of praise. And, and in this section, it highlights things that will be elaborated on even further inside the book. So what me and Pastor Aaron has been trying to do is be really, really intentional with how we are walking through this section and the entire, entire book, to be, to be honest. Like, I think about back when I my old job, and there was a, a girl at my job. Her name was Jessica. She would always come and, and show me pictures of, of her daughter and things like that. And so one day, she had came back from a vacation where she went to see her, her parents somewhere, right? And she came back, and she showed me pictures of the trip and, and of, of her daughter. And then she like, oh, man, hey, and on our way, look. And she shows me this picture of her standing by this tree, and the tree was huge, like so huge that you can drive through it. It was literally like a hole in the tree for you to drive through. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, wow, that tree is huge. I would love to, to, to go somewhere and, and, and see that tree, right? So I'm just like blown away by a tree. Then she gets back to showing me um, pictures of her daughter, like 159 pictures of her daughter. I'm like, please stop, right? You know, but... Fast forward, right? So I'm hanging out um, with a couple that goes there, a really solid couple by the name of, of Jim and Shayla, right? And I'm hanging out with them one night. Are they in here? Okay, listen. So <laughs> I'm hanging out with them one day, right? And while we're hanging out, like she makes the best ice cream. So if you go, yeah. see, have her make some ice cream, right? Anyhow, it was vanilla ice cream, vanilla bean. All right, scripture. Right, so anyhow, so we're hanging out, and they start telling us about this family trip that they went on. And as they're telling us about the family trip that, that, that they, they went on, they said that we, they went to this forest called the Sequoia National Forest, and it has a, a national park there. And they start telling me about me and, and my wife about all these different trees and how big they were and beautiful they were. And I started thinking about Jessica's tree, right? And I'm like, man, Jessica, she had been to this place, right, that has this big tree. And they even had a tree that you can drive through. And they're like, yeah, that's in the Sequoia National Park, right? And I'm like, oh, wow. I didn't know it was there. And at that moment, I realized that when Jessica showed me the story, I, I I looked at the tree, but not in context to the forest that it was a part of. I didn't even know the name of the forest it was a part of, right? But then when Jim and Shayla talked to me about it, I'm like, man, 
I would love to go visit that forest and see all those beautiful trees, including that particular one or a couple of them to my understanding now that you can actually drive through. I was able to, 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 to value the tree in context of the entire forest. And that's what we're trying to do with how we walk through these texts. And just a side note, ask Jim and Shayla, right, to tell you about this story. Because it's a, it's a funny story when they go on this vacation because it has things like, like the majesty of God with the trees and everything. There's like this drama, this criminal activity, and there's like a pine cone, right? So just ask them about the pine cone if you see them. All right. That being said, fast forward. So me and Pastor Aaron have been walking through verses 3 through 14 and attempting to show you the beauty of different trees in the forest without losing sight of the forest itself, okay? So I want to ask you to stand with me, and I want to take a look at this forest, and we're going to read all of 3 to 14 together, and then we're going to look at a particular tree in the forest, and that's verses 8 through 10. So, okay, so I'm going to read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace with which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also have heard, have you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Oh, Father, I thank you for your word today, and I ask that you will plant it deep into the depths of our heart and that you will cause it to bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Now, now, that's the forest, right? That's the forest that we're, we're lingering on, or the section of the forest we're lingering on. Now, let me zoom in to the tree that we're looking at today. That's verses 8 through 10. He says, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, last week, Pastor Aaron, he focused on, on verse 7. He was talking about how in Christ, 
We have redemption through his blood, right? And as we're going through these sections and we're reading through Ephesians, we're hearing so much about in Christ, in him, through him, so much. So last week, Pastor Aaron lingered there for a bit. And the reason he did that is because we have a tendency to, to search for or try to achieve things that only come from God in or by means of things created by God. We have a, a tendency to search for things like our identity and created things, our self-worth in, in these things, our, our purpose. And we try to achieve things that, that God has for us by means of our own resources. Like education and experiences and, and status and, and skill and intellect. And Paul is saying, whenever you're doing this, you're missing it. You've missed it. It's all found in Christ, and that's why he lingered there. Truth be told, most believers here in Christ, in an agreement, not their heads, but only believe it figuratively or metaphorically. Most will, will agree, most will say, yeah, in Christ, in Christ. But if you're doing that, you still missed it. When when it says in Christ, it means it in the most literal sense. This is not a figure of speech. I think the reason is is normally received figuratively or metaphorically is, is, is most of us don't understand what it actually means. Like we've heard it a thousand times, but never asked the question, what does that actually mean? So we've assumed a meaning that's typically a massive oversimplification of the reality of the situation. So it's truncated down so low to the point that it's almost an error. And the same is, is with me, truth be told. When I used to think about the term in Christ, I connected it to to the Christ of the the virgin of Christianity that was offered by Western culture, of which I had to find some way to assimilate with. I had to find some way to become more like that person and fit into that mold than the Christ of Scripture itself. So I want to start off lingering there just a little bit because it has so much to do with the grand scheme of what's happening here. So whenever you think about in Christ, right, as we're going through these texts, as we're reading through these things, as you're, whenever you hit the word in Christ, in him, through Christ, at least three things need to come to your mind. In Christ is the location the means, and the purpose. All these three, these three that's going to be how you're reading through these texts and how you're understanding everything that's happening here. The location, the means, and the purpose. This is why location is important, right? Listen, because before salvation, meaning before an authentic move of the Spirit, regenerating you to believe in Christ as your Lord, Savior, and King, your location, both naturally and spiritually, is bound to the realm of this fallen reality. 
right? This is where we're, we're, we're born into this. We're starting here. Scripture calls it the world. It's a place driven by the idols of culture, ruled by the agendas of demonic spirits, described by the early Jews as this present evil age. Outside of Christ, you are born bound to it. So when I say born bound to it, I want you to think about shackles and everything. I want you to picture inside your mind little black babies born during the time of slavery in America. They have no choice. You're born a slave. Little children and and Hebrew children born during the time of slavery in Egypt. You have no choice. You're born a slave. That's just how you're born. And in that regard, I want you to broaden this thing out and see that this is a world condition. Every single person on this planet was born into a brutally oppressive system of slavery, one that echoes itself over and over again in various ways, whether it be through human slavery, the slavery of addiction, the slavery of physical or mental sickness, enslaved to the idolatry of self or created things. The list just goes on and on and on, and we're all born in bondage to it one way or another. And yet, through all these different echoing expressions of the slavery, God always allows there to be a comparative to the bondage. There's always something in the midst. They're always the one that's free from the bondage that you suffer in. The healthy person to the sick person. The one that has no idea what it's like to be addicted to something, telling the addict, won't you just get your life together? Even in scenarios where the freed one is the one doing the enslaving, his freedom to do so stands out and it makes the the painful reality of slavery sting that much more while the desire to be free like them burn even greater. Until you look again and you realize the one you thought was free actually isn't free at all. They're just enslaved to another thing including the system that says that it's okay. A brutally oppressive system of slavery that echoes itself over and over and over again in various ways within the context of this world that we're born into. And this brutality, it's not always physical. Sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's spiritual, sometimes it's combined, but it's always brutal, whether it's inward or outward. This is the location we are born in and in bondage to, both physically and spiritually pre-salvation. But then there is something incredible that happens at the moment of salvation. Something incredible. In this book, The Drama of Ephesians, the writer puts this thing inside that I want to quote. It says, the people of God are not merely loved by God or saved by God. We are brought into God. God has done something outrageous to us, bringing us into Christ so that we now have a completely new location on a cosmic map. 
We believe the moment a person becomes a believer, they become residents of the kingdom of God because they're immediately united with Christ by means of his spirit. And Christ is not just in the kingdom of God or merely the rule of the kingdom of God. Christ is the very essence of the kingdom of God, along with the Father and the Spirit. And our spirits are literally brought into Christ, making us residents inside the kingdom of God, that whole realm now. John 13 and 36 Jesus is talking to Peter, and he's, he's preparing him for the fact that he's going to die, and he's going to leave. And he's talking to him, he's, and he says, listen, Peter, while I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Like many people read this text and think that he's just talking about death and heaven. Like, yeah, that's part of it, but it's way more than that. They think he's just saying, man, Peter, I'm going to die, and you're going to die too, and we're both going to be in heaven. No, he's going back into eternity where the kingdom of God is, and he's singing, you can't come right now, but you will be there later. Later on in, in chapter 14 and 3, he continues the same conversation with Peter, and he says, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. He's talking about when he come again via his Holy Spirit and it falls on Peter and all the other apostles connecting their spirits to the kingdom of God. What happens? What happens in the upper room was so much more than just the Spirit of God falling on apostles. At that moment, they were also united with Christ and their spirits became residents of the kingdom of God, setting the tone that would be, that, that would be for all believers in Christ. It's important you understand what in Christ means. If you're going to view these texts right, it's important that you understand where things are coming from and going to. In 2 Corinthians 3, verses 16 to 17, Paul says, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and when the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Now, 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 the comparative, the freedom, the comparative to the slavery where the spirit of the Lord is. Where is his spirit? In the kingdom of God where he emanates from and inhabits everything. For, for the believer, the veil between this fallen world of slavery and the kingdom of God is now removed and you are no longer bound to the slavery of this world because your spirit is now where the spirit of the Lord is, the kingdom of God, a place of true freedom. For the believer, there's been a change in spiritual location. Now your spirit, like the Holy Spirit, emanates from the kingdom of God and dwells within you. Now when you make your decisions on everyday life, you don't have to make those decisions from a location of bondage. Now you can follow the spirit of God and make those decisions from a location of freedom. This is the reality of the situation when he says, in Christ. That's why he calls us to be led by the Spirit, not the flesh. 
The problem is the flesh is used to the bondage and habitually craves it. So when the Bible refers to in Christ, it's for you to be cognitive of where your spirit now resides while presenting you, your new cosmic location of existence. Something bigger is happening here. In John 14 and 2, Jesus is talking to Peter. And he's telling him about his plan of going into eternity to the kingdom of God and what he's going to do when he gets there. He says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. It's the kingdom of God. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? He said he was going to prepare a place for him. He was going into eternity to the kingdom of God to prepare for him. And he didn't just prepare for him. He prepared for us. There's a bigger thing happening here. Preparing for us. For all those that will believe in Jesus as their Lord, Savior, and King. He goes into eternity preparing some things for us. It's like you know you got guests coming over and you want to make sure they have everything they need while they're there, especially if you guys are going to be doing something together and you have all the supplies, you get all the supplies ready for the things that you guys are going to be doing together. So what did he prepare for us? I know in Romans 8 and 18 it says, Our present sufferings aren't comparable to the glories that lie ahead. I know in in 1 Corinthians 2 and 9 it says, Eyes have not seen and ears have not heard, neither has heart even imagined the depth of what God has prepared for us. But Ephesians 1 and 3 gives us a glimpse. He says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's equipping us for something. He's getting us together for something. Every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places prepared for you, prepared for us collectively and individually. Not because we've earned it, but as a show of his grace. So last week, Pastor Aaron is, is, is talking at a verse and it, and, and it includes all of this. He said, in him, meaning in Christ, the realm of his kingdom, of which we have been positioned in locationally because of our union with Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And then in verse 8, which we're looking at today, he says, which was lavished upon us. And all wisdom and insight lavished upon us. Whenever I think about this term, lavished upon us, an image comes to my mind that I heard once that sticks with me, like a stack of pancakes, and and you take the syrup, and you just keep pouring the syrup all over, and the syrup just trickling down the pancake, and, and you're lavishing the pancake with syrup, and the Lord is like, this is what he did with us regarding his grace. He lavished it upon us. Now, how this plays out. 
All this grace and spiritual blessings are prepared for us in Christ where the eternal kingdom of God exists. And our spirits are brought into Christ and his kingdom at the moment of salvation where all of his grace and spiritual blessings are lavished upon us and with all wisdom and insight in such a way that causes it to strategically manifest itself throughout the course and trials of life, producing the fruit of that godly wisdom and insight that was lavished upon our spirits in eternity with Christ. Including verse 9. Where it says, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Making known to us the mystery of his will, that he keeps it mysterious. 1 Corinthians 1 and 18, it says, The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Not because the will of God is a mystery that's made known to those that are his. And he makes it known to us. And then in verse 10, you see the comprehensive nature of his, the, the, his mysterious will That's why I love verse 10. He opens it up and he shows us some depth to to everything that's going on. He shows us the comprehensive nature of everything that he's doing here. So in verse 10 it says, As a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, Now we start to get some some depth to what's going on. So we got to understand where things are coming from to understand where things are going to. God created heaven and earth as one, united within himself. Adam and Eve enjoyed spiritual and physical fellowship with God. Heaven and earth united. And the moment they rejected God, they rejected heaven and the kingdom of God because you can't have one without the other. So because they, they rejected him, there's this separation. So the moment they chose not to trust in him, but instead in self, heaven and earth were separated. God on one side, man on the other. Thus starts this brutally oppressive system of slavery that we call the world today. Why? Because man was never meant to function outside of the union. Everything has been affected by it. Every single thing. In Romans 8 and 18, when Paul talks about our sufferings not worth being compared to the glory that lie ahead, he follows it up with verses 19 to 23, and he says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to the corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This is a glimpse to what the fullness of time will, will look like as we think about what's going on here, what's happening. Christ returns, his kingdom come, and his will is done on the earth as it is in heaven because they are reunited in him. No more foretaste. The supper is served. No longer is it just our spirits that are, that are free from the bondage of slavery, but it's our physical bodies as well, as long, along with all of creation who's been suffering in the bondage with us. So when you think about what God is doing, it's important that you get and you understand God's mission is to unite all things in heaven and earth within himself. This is what God is working at. This is what he's been doing. All things, everything that you see inside the Old Testament leading up to now, everything that, that, that you see going on leading up to now, God is working a plan and is uniting all things in heaven and earth into him because we become united in him. We participate with him on his mission. You see, it's not just about I get to be saved and I get to go to heaven. It's about you was united with the God of all of existence who is on a mission to unite all things in heaven and earth inside of him. And the moment that you become united with him, you didn't just get united with, with this side. You got united with the mission the mission of uniting all things in heaven and earth. Except now, you trust him, not self. You trust in Christ, not in me or in my education or in my smarts. And in the, the midst of all of that, he is the location and he is the means. Now we participate with God, making known the mystery of his will to those that are his. And the comprehensive nature of this is that it includes all of life. Every single thing becomes a part of the structured plan of reuniting all things. How I respond to my spouse, how I love my neighbor, how I reach out to those people that have been marginalized and separated and broken apart. Because God has a mission of restoring all things in him. And I'm on mission with him because I'm in him. There's no other way around it. Paul says, in him I live and I move and I have my being. I've been included in his glorious plan of restoration. 
I've been included in the work that he's doing. I've been included in the pain and the suffering for the sake of his glory. I've been included in. There's no way around it. And if I don't see that, if I don't see the bigger picture that I am a part of, I'm not even looking at him. Called to participate. In this process of restoration and unification, this is why it's important to fight for certain things. This is why it's important to stand against certain things. Man, let the shoe fit where it needs to fit at. But things that work against God's plan of uniting all things in him. And you need to see this. This is on a big level and a small level. This has everything to do with how I interact with my kids and how I interact with my community. It has everything to do with my, the mission of redemption at Humber and everything to do with the mission of the, glo- the global church at large. A global, comprehensive mission of uniting all things in heaven and earth. And that looks like war oftentimes. Dying to self oftentimes. Preferring the other oftentimes. Seeking out for those that's cast away oftentimes. Why? Because I'm on mission with him. He was gracious enough to include me on the beautiful work of restoration that he's doing. And to make that work perfect is all rooted in him. Romans 11 and 36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. From him, locationally, like I said, you have to understand where things are coming from so you understand where things are going to. From him, locationally, through him, the means and how I do everything. I'm relying on him. I'm trusting in him. I'm walking in him. To him, the purpose of all things. This is my God restoring things in He starts by opening my eyes to the reality of who he is. But not just for the sake of me, but for the sake of all things. I want to close this out by helping us to check some things so we understand what it looks like to live inside of this. Ben, you can come. Ben can come. If your mission and passion starts in any place other than in Christ, it's idolatry. I don't care what it is. And I can say that knowing that all of life is all for Christ. If your mission and your passion starts in any place outside of in him, it's idolatry. If your means of accomplishing your goals are rooted in anything other than in Christ, welcome to idolatry. 
I don't care what it is. I don't care how beautiful it is. I don't care how, 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 how much and how beneficial it looks. If your means of, 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 of what you're doing isn't resting in Christ, it's idolatry. If the purpose of what you're doing doesn't find it, it's heartbeat. And, the, and God's plan of uniting all things in Christ, it's idolatry. And it's just another part of that brutal system of slavery in one way or another. God has invited us into a comprehensive plan that does not rely on our strength, that relies on his. That he just calls us to die and submit into and walk in. It calls us to be intentional. It calls us to think twice. It causes us to die to self. It causes us to love others. Call us to break bread with somebody I normally wouldn't. Causes us to, to weep with those that weep. It causes us to rejoice with those that rejoice. Because what he's doing with all things, and he's calling me along with it. The implications are deep. The realities are even deeper. As we get ready for communion, I want to close like this. I want to encourage you to consider yourself. How have I been living into this plan? How have I been intentional to submit to the Spirit of God and live into this plan, knowing that in me is the Spirit of the living God. I am Him and He is in me. And He's called me along with Him on this mission. How do I constantly die to self and not, not live from a location of bondage, but instead live from a location of freedom? And what does war look like in the midst of it? Knowing that, that the war is a part of the uniting of all things in him. How do I reach out to those that are seemingly unreachable? How am I submitting to your will and your purpose, Lord? Probably this is the first time that the gospel seemed to make sense to you. And you're saying, well, how do I get included inside this mission? How do I have fellowship and relationship with this God? Man, we'd love to lead you to the cross. We'd love to be on mission with you as we rest in him. And we engage on mission in him and through him and to him. So as you grab your cup today, consider that bread that represents his body that was broken for the uniting of all things in heaven and earth. Consider the blood represented by the juice that flowed for this mission that he came into this planet for, uniting all things in heaven and earth. Consider it. Consider your calling. Consider your relationship. And then join him and recommit to the mission. 
Man, the tables are open for those that believe. It's for you and it's for us. The tables are open. I love you. Let's worship together. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. 